book of Acts where it doesn't appear at all. Every time Judas is mentioned in Scripture, we also find the notation about him being a traitor. He's probably the most colossal failure in human history. He committed the most horrible and heinous act of any individual ever. He betrayed the perfect, sinless, and mighty God for a handful of money. His dark story is a point, is just, it's an example of the depths to which the human heart is capable of sinking. He spent three years with Jesus Christ, but for all that time, his heart was growing hard and hateful. And so tonight, I want our hearts to be open in a way that Judas wasn't. And so will you pray with me that we would receive what God wants us to receive tonight as we look at this last lesson, the traitor, the traitor. God, we love you. We thank you for being present here. We thank you for being active in our lives. We thank you for your pursuit of us, Lord. God, I pray that nothing would distract any of us from your word, what you want to say, what you want to speak, the, how you want to challenge, encourage, teach, rebuke, correct, whatever you need to do tonight, please help every child, every youth that we kept upstairs tonight, that they would receive from you, from your word tonight, that it will be profitable to them, that we will end with an altar call, Lord, that will be absolutely incredible as we all respond to your spirit, Jesus, tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. The other 11 apostles are all a great encouragement to us because they exemplify how common people with typical failings, they still can be used by God in remarkable ways. Judas, on the other hand, stands as a warning about the evil potential of spiritual carelessness. Here was a man who drew as close to the Savior as humanly possible. He enjoyed every privilege Christ affords. He was intimately involved and familiar with everything that Jesus taught, yet he remained in unbelief and he went into hopeless eternity. He began exactly as the others began, but he never laid hold of the truth by faith. So he was never transformed like the rest of them. One scripture in the Old Testament says it like this, Psalm 119.11, Thy word... Have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee? So right off the bat, I want you to contemplate this. At some point, it is possible to hear God's word, memorize God's word, and even preach God's word, but never actually hide it in our hearts. The New Testament tells us two things about Judas, and by these two things we know. Number one, the life of Judas reminds us, based on what we see in Scripture, that it is possible to be near Christ and associate with him closely and yet become utterly hardened to sin. To be near Jesus, but hardened to sin. Number two, no matter how sinful a person may be, no matter what treachery he or she may attempt against God, the purpose of God cannot and will not be thwarted. 
Judas' name is a form of Judah, meaning Jehovah leads. This indicates that when he was born, his parents must have had high hopes for him to be led of God because a person was their name. His surname, Iscariot, signifies the region from which he came. It's derived from the Hebrew uh, term and name of a town. It's likely that Judas came from a humble town south of Judea. He was apparently the only apostle not to come from Galilee. Judas ultimately became the treasurer of the group. Sometimes when you combine ministry with money... It can really mess a lot of people up. As a matter of fact, when those who are called by God fail, how many of you are called by God to do something for the kingdom? You'll find that when someone is called by God and they fail, typically it will be one of three things. It will be relationship with the opposite sex. Power or money. One of those three things is typically going to be what trips people up. Relationship with the opposite sex, power or money. Be aware and guard yourself. Judas didn't even agree with Jesus himself about the way Jesus utilized resources. He didn't even agree with Jesus. After Mary pours perfume on Jesus' feet in Bethany and she wipes his feet with her hair, look what Judas says in John 12, 4. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not, not, John makes it clear. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Could you imagine being the treasurer for Jesus Christ? And you'd occasionally be like, one for him, two for him, one for me. Two for Jesus, you guys need food? We can't feed the multitude. I got to do five loaves and two fish. Well, uh, if Jesus can multiply the loaves and fish, he doesn't need this. How many of you know when God asks you for something monetarily, financially, it is not because he needs it? It's because he wants to see, will you trust, will you put your confidence in me that I am your provider, and will you trust me, will you obey me? My kids and I tonight, see, because before we say, my Lord, Judas, stealing from the Lord, I would never do that. Just remember, the Old Testament says, you have robbed God. How have we robbed God? In tithes and offerings. So out of the clear blue, my kids tonight at dinner, Kiera starts asking about tithing and how much you'd pay on this. And what if you had $1,000? She said, would that be $100? I said, very good, honey. That's exactly right. If it's $1,000 and I give God $92, that's not a tithe. It's not a tithe. And so before we say, I would never do that to Judas, if I don't tithe, according to Scripture, I'm robbing God. So every increase that I have... If I make $100, it's not even like I'm giving God $10. That $10 
already belongs to him. The offering is what I give above and beyond that out of whatever God lays on my heart, whatever I want to do. But before we say, I would never do what Judas did, just remember, if we don't give the 10%, which is the tithe, that's what the biblical definition, we're robbing God. So if you can get angry at me, but I'm not, I'm just delivering the word. And so Judas, he was unethical. He was a treasure who was actually stealing from the Lord and keeping it for himself. Judas was ordinary in every way, just like the others. It, it's significant that when Judas, or I'm sorry, when Jesus predicted that one of you will betray me, we never see any scripture that it was Judas. That people looked and said, I bet you it's that guy right there. It's probably him. It's most likely it's Judas. Nobody points the finger of suspicion at Judas. Matthew 26, 21 says, and as they did eat, he said, one of you is going to betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began, everyone, Lord, is it I? Lord, is, is it me? Is it I? Was it, did I? Would it be me? And he answered and said, he that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray him. Judas was such an expert in hypocrisy that nobody distrusted him. But Jesus knew from the beginning. Why? Because Jesus always knows where our hearts are. The call of Judas is not recorded in Scripture. It's obvious, though, that he followed Jesus willingly. He lived in a time of heightened messianic hope, and like most of Israel, he was eager for the Messiah to come. When he heard about Jesus, he must have been convinced, hey, this guy has got to be the one true Messiah. Like the other 11, he left whatever enterprise he had, and he began following Jesus full time. Judas even stayed with Jesus. In John 6, when less devoted disciples, they started to leave. They, they thought his message was too hard. They were heading out. But Judas had given his life to following Jesus. But here's the problem. Judas gave his life to following Jesus, but he never gave his heart. Can we really pour ourselves into ministry and do everything that the church needs and give God our life, but somehow never give him our heart? Judas was probably a young, zealous, patriotic Jew who didn't want the Romans to rule. He hoped Christ would overthrow the foreign oppressors, restore the kingdom to Israel. He obviously could see that Jesus, he had powers unlike any other man. But it's just as obvious, though, that Judas was not attracted to Christ on a spiritual level. He was attracted to Christ in the powerful level, in the, in the political level, but not the spiritual. He followed Jesus out of a desire for selfish gain, worldly ambition, greed. He sensed that Jesus' power, Jesus had power. Maybe he's like, you know what, I want some of that for myself. He wasn't interested in the kingdom for salvation or Christ's sake. None of this was a surprise to Jesus, though. Betrayal was prophesied in the Old Testament. Psalm 41.9 says, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, had lifted up his heel against me. And Jesus cites that very psalm in John 13 when it's time for his own betrayal. And look what's prophesied in another psalm, Psalm 52, 
I'm sorry, Psalm 55, 12 through 14, it says, it is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It's not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden, hidden from them. Instead, it's you, my equal, my companion and close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. What a tragedy. How many have followed Judas' path and have walked with God, been close to him, heard his voice, felt his presence, were friends and companions, but then walked away completely. I'm telling you, there's probably an element of my heart that hurts more for the person that walked this way and knew it and experienced it and lived it and walked away completely. Some ways that breaks my heart even more than the completely lost person that's never known. Because unless that person who walked away will humble themselves, it's very difficult to break free from the delusion that they've allowed to settle into their spirit. But even though the betrayal was prophesied time and again through the Bible, Judas was in no way coerced to do what he did. No invisible hand forced him to betray Christ. He acted freely and without external compulsion. He was responsible for his own actions. Jesus said he would bear the guilt of, his, of, of, of this deed throughout all of eternity. But how sad this was. Judas had the same potential as all of the other disciples. Man, Peter was just born with it. You know, he just had that person. Judas had the same ability, the same potential as every other disciple that we've covered in this series. The difference was that he was never really drawn to the person of Christ. He heard the word, but he never hid the word in his heart. The word penetrated his ear, but it never got down to right here. Judah's secret goal was personal prosperity and gain for himself. He hung around Jesus, but he never embraced Jesus. He was a hearer of the word, but never a doer. He was a church goer, but never a disciple. It appears he never had an ounce of love for Christ. His heart was never changed. And when I read this, I think about this because we can read and go, Judas, I'd never be like Jesus. This is horrible. He, he, he stole from Christ. He betrayed Christ. I would never do that. But where I, in, in my preparation, in my prayer, and where I feel like there's the danger is I feel like we can sit in church services where God's power is so strong, where you, it's just tangible. You can feel him. You, 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 you tears welling up in your eyes. You can see people responding to him. People's lives are being changed. Signs, wonders, miracles. Faith is being preached. And yet we can sit in a place like this and still get further and further from a deep and a true love for Jesus Christ. Amen. Judas had every opportunity to turn from his sin. 
He heard numerous appeals from Christ, urging him not to do the deed he was planning to do. Think about it. With just, just, just throwing a few out here. Okay, he heard every lesson taught during the ministry of Jesus Christ. Many of those lessons applied directly to him. In Luke 16, there was a parable of an unjust steward. In Matthew 22, there was a message of a wedding garment. In Matthew 6, Jesus preached against the love of money. In Luke 13, he talked against greed. Matthew 23, he talked against pride. In, 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 in one time, he even told the 12 in John 6 that one of them was a devil. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I was in a message, if I was in a church and said, God said right now that one of us in here is the devil. Oh my goodness, I would be going, God, help me. I don't want, I pray to God, it's not me. He cautioned them about woe that would come to the person who would betray him in Matthew 26. So at times when Judas was contemplating this and going, man, I just don't know. And Jesus is sitting here prophesying just as he did to Nathaniel. He looked at Nathaniel and Nathaniel said, I don't know if you're really the one. How do you, you don't know me. Nathaniel probably had a little bit of the same attitude as Judas. But the Lord looked at him and said, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel said, you are the son of God. His heart was impacted. He was changed. He realized that, hey, this is God manifest in flesh. He sees me when other people don't see me. He knows my heart. He hears my whispered prayers. And Jesus reached to Judas the exact same way. As he said, one of you, whoa, to one of you, that's going to be true. One of you, the devil's at work. Judas could have stopped and said, you're my God. Oh, my Lord, forgive me. I, oh, but he didn't do that. Judas just sat He sat and he listened. And he hardened his heart and simply came in unmoved and walked out unmoved. And that which that's 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 what I guess I have the burden for tonight because I go, okay, if there's 205 people here on Sunday and I don't know how many tonight, how many of us walk in unmoved and walk out unmoved? Many of us are hearing an appeal from Jesus Christ and just yawning and leaving. How many times have messages been preached that are directly at us? I'm not talking about uh, you came and counseled with me this past week, so I'm going to get up here and preach about what you just talked to me about. That's not God, and that's not the way God works. And that's not the way I operate. I'm talking about where God, you know you've been there. When God begins to talk about something you read, you're dealing with, and you just know, wow, God spoke to me today. How many times that happens where we then leave after that with unchanged heart? Judas was becoming progressively more disillusioned with Christ. Why? That doesn't happen overnight. It happens when, when we will not open our hearts 
Just because we're in the church service does not mean our hearts are open. Judas followed Jesus everywhere and heard amazing teaching and saw miracles, heard the word made flesh. But he would not open his heart. And when we won't open our hearts, and when we won't respond to his word, we can only sit so long before the heart becomes hard and unresponsive. We can only sit on a pew for so long without responding before the heart becomes hard and unresponsive. And that's why when people say, I just want to break through, I've just prayed, and it's like God just left me, and people try to blame God for those things. But part of the reason why the breakthrough is so difficult is because they've sat through so many sermons, so many messages, so many altar calls, so many times of worship, and they just sat there, and they would not respond. And each time we do that, another brick is added to the wall, is added to the wall, and added to the wall until there becomes a concrete structure that's from the presence and power of God. For those apostles just like us, Jesus didn't always fit the bill of what they thought he should be. At times he disappointed them. At times they thought he was going to be, to, to, to be something else or move in a different way in a different time frame. But the rest of the apostles, they eventually had a moment where they said, oh, he is not what I thought he was going to be, but I'm okay with that. He's not going to be the earthly king that I initially anticipated, but their hearts were changed along the way. Their hearts were saying, okay, he wasn't what I thought he was going to be, what I wanted him to be, but I'm, I'm seeing something that extends beyond this earth. He's not just an earthly king. He's an eternal king. And their hearts were changed, but not Judas. Judas simply became disillusioned. And so he began to hide his disappointment under a blanket of hypocrisy. Maybe he was just looking for a way to get some money out of the years that he invested with Jesus. After all, he's not exactly who I thought he was going to be. I gave up a lot. I've been following him out for probably three years. And you know what? I'm going to try and get some of this money back. But the worldliness conquered his heart. It was never conquered, the worldliness wasn't. And when we, actually, when, we, when we never actually conquer worldliness, worldliness is going to try to impact every single one of us. Every man, every woman, every child, the things of this world can get all-consuming. And when we never conquer worldliness in our heart, slowly it begins to conquer us. By the time that Jesus and the apostles went to Jerusalem for the Passover, Judas' spiritual disenfranchisement was complete. At some point in those final few days, his disillusionment turned to hate, hate mixed with greed, and it finally turned to treason. 
Judas probably convinced himself, you know, like I said, eh, three years, I got, he owes me. And that sort of thinking ate away at him till he finally became the monster who betrayed Jesus. We finally get to that 12th chapter of John when Mary breaks a bottle of perfume and pours it over the feet of Jesus. Judas thinks he's slick when he says, hey, that's a waste of money. We could be helping the poor. He didn't care anything about the poor. He wanted to steal for himself. And look how Jesus responded to Judas when he says in verse 7, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Given the condition of Judas's heart, the Lord's reprimand is actually pretty mild. I mean, how would you have handled that? <laughs> You'd have been like, oh, bro, don't even, don't even open your mouth again. He could have blasted Judas, but he didn't. Nonetheless, it appears that the gentle reprimand somehow makes Judas almost resent Jesus even more. And even at that moment, Judas never says, man, Jesus, I'm sorry. That was out of, that was out of line. I shouldn't have said that. He never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever repents. We don't, hear me, we don't develop a hard and unresponsive heart overnight. Think back to when you first walked in to an apostolic Pentecostal church. You might have looked around like these people are nuts. They've done, lost their mind. I don't know what they're doing. But once you begin to respond to Jesus, I doubt many people walked in and just sat there and just stared. But what happens is if we sit there long enough and we don't engage in worship, we don't obey what he says about finances, we don't come to altars, we don't respond to him. We don't receive correction, rebuke from his word. What happens is I can sit during worship, skip the altar call, not serve in a ministry, and assume I'm fine. Just assume things are fine. And we don't get unresponsive overnight. This can only come when we refuse to repent and we refuse to respond to the words of Jesus Christ over and over and over and over again. Can you imagine? I'm not looking for a compliment here. I know, okay? I might be an average preacher. Jesus Christ was the best of the best. Could you imagine sitting in, standing, hearing message after message from Jesus? But at some point just saying, I'm too involved in ministry to respond for myself. I certainly hope that none of us ever get so involved with ministry 
that we forget the relationship. For Judas, it was one altar call after another, one message after another, and he refused to repent. He refused to respond. And it appears this is the final straw as Judas is concerned because immediately after that, oh, give to the poor. We could have given that. Look what happens. Matthew writes in Matthew 26, 13. He says, I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Then, right after that, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the leading priests and said, how much you want to pay me to betray Jesus? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. He left Bethany, walked only about a mile and a half to Jerusalem. And it was there he sold Jesus out to enemies for a pocket full of coins. And guess what? Look back at the Old Testament law in Exodus 21, 32. It says, but if the ox goes, gores a slave, either male or female, the animal's owner must pay the slave's owner 30 silver coins and the ox must be stoned. 30 pieces of silver was the price of a slave. It wasn't much money, but that's what Judas negotiated. You see, when you harden your heart over and over to Jesus, when you refuse to repent, you eventually become a slave to the things of this world and you sell out to the things of God. And even after all of that, can you imagine how far you have to fall to go to the Last Supper? You have already betrayed your Savior. You got the money, the 30 silver coins, you sold him out. And you show up at the Last Supper, the Passover meal. And Jesus, in his humility, begins to take a towel and go around And he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. And you have fallen so far that you stick your foot out and allow the master, knowing I just sold him out, he's getting ready to die, and you let him wash your feet. How hard does your heart have to get to let that happen? But even now, As Jesus begins to take his foot, back then sandals, first century dusty roads, they would have been dirty. He's just sitting there and just washing the dirt out, washing Judas's feet. And Judas sits there looking down at his Savior and Master. And he sits there unmoved, unresponsive, without repentance. And I just wonder, was it still, was it too late? Was it too late? What happens if Judas finally humbles himself? What happens if he says, Jesus, just stop, man, just stop. Come here, stand up. 
I got to tell you something. I have been the devil. I've been greedy. I've let you down. As a matter of fact, I just came from the Pharisee's temple and I just sold you out for 30 pieces of silver. And he began to weep as he grabbed Jesus and embraced him with tears in his eyes and says, can you please ever forgive me? There's no doubt in my mind Jesus would have still died on the cross. But there's also no doubt in my mind that Judas would have been in the upper room in the book of Acts. He would have been filled with the Spirit of God. He would have been planting churches just like the rest of them because Jesus would have stood up and he would have embraced them just like the father to the prodigal son. Instead, the day of salvation closes for Judas. He's handed over to Satan. Sin has triumphed in his heart. But what's crazy is that even though Jesus had just spoken of the betrayer and Judas had the bread to dip it, it still didn't compute in the minds of all of the other apostles. No one seemed, in one scripture it says they just thought he was going to get food, going to get something. In no way He was such an expert in hypocrisy that he fooled everybody, his closest friends and companions. He fooled them to the very end. Even though Jesus says, one of you going to betray me tonight, it's the one who dips with me. No doubt they would have seen him. And when Judas says, it's time for me to leave and gets up, nobody in the room says, oh my goodness, Judas just left. He's the guy. He was such a hypocrite that he had everybody fooled. And as I close this message out, I will tell every person, especially every young person, every child, every student, every adult, you, know, you, you might be able to fool your parents, your spouse, your teacher, your friend, your pastor. But the Lord knows exactly what is in your heart. He knows what your desires are. Judas sold Jesus for a slave's charge. But as soon as the deal was complete, Judas' conscience came alive. He found himself in a hell of his own making. The money, which had been so important to him before, no longer mattered. He threw it at the feet of the Pharisees, and he he went and he hung himself. Oh, he was sorry. But I would argue he was not sorry because he sinned. He was sorry because his sin did not satisfy him in the way he had hoped it would. And folks, sin never does. It looks amazing. It might even be fun for a season. That prodigal son, that boy that left with all that money, he went and partied. You don't read about the misery until later eating with the pigs, laying in the mud. I would venture to say that life before that was probably a blast. 
Sin's going to be a blast probably for a little bit of your season of your life if you decide to go that route. But it will never last. It will never be fulfilling long term. One little season. And you know what you find? Man, everything I was pursuing away from God, I thought was going to be better than this. And so he didn't come back and throw those coins. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. That's what we think of sometimes. But guess what? In spite of all of this, Judas still never seeks forgiveness. Because in order, if you walk away from God, in order to return to God, it takes a humbling of oneself. And many who walk away decide not to do that because then there's admittance that maybe I was wrong. Maybe I pursued some. Maybe I was out of line, out of order. I don't know how I'd be accepted. Don't let that fool you like that. Judas never repents. All the mistakes, stealing from the Lord, selling him out. We never, all the messages he sat through, all the songs he sang with the group, all the times of taking communion, the Passover, the Last Supper, all the times that he did these things, all the miracles that he saw, all the people that no doubt he probably laid hands and prayed. He was active in ministry and heard messages from the greatest speaker, preacher, teacher that we will ever hear. But it is not about who is standing in a pulpit preaching. It's about where your heart is. It's about where your heart is and what you're receptive to. And so as you stand to your feet tonight, Where are you? You've just heard the word of God and, and we've read the, we've gone through these apostles that man, I can be like that. That's motivating. That's encouraging. If he can do it, I can do it too. Well, guess what? We can't get to the one bad guy and say, well, I'm not gonna say if he can do it, I can do it too. I'm gonna say that to all the good guys. But if, 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 if Peter can do it, I can do it too. If Andrew can do it, I can do it too. If Nathaniel can do it, I can do it too. If Philip can do it, I can do it too. If Thomas can do it, I can do it too. Well, then let's add that and say, if Judas can do it, so can I. So I had better make sure that I'm not just sitting on a pew, hearing a message, and not making sure that my heart is wide open. Not making, making sure that when the altar opens up, I never skip an altar call that I never rob Jesus, that I never sit in message after message and lay hands on people, and that I never let him impact my heart, that when something's preached that hits my heart and rebukes or corrects me, that I don't walk out and I say, well, there's another layer, there's another layer, there's another layer, till one day I'm begging, I'm either begging God for a breakthrough or I'm selling him out. 
I want to remain on my face. I want to repent every chance that I get. When I let him down, I got to find a place where I embrace Jesus and say, Jesus, hear my voice right now. I am sorry. Jesus, don't let one stone be laid upon another that's going to build something between me and you. Jesus, forgive me. God, I need you. Don't let any issues come between you and I. God, I know that I desperately desire you. I need you to night. Don't let this happen in my life. I don't want my heart to be hardened. It's time now to respond. It's time to repent. It's time to get in his presence. It's time to allow your heart to be touched. It's time to allow your heart to respond. Please don't walk out of this place and let another brick be laid on another. That's just another piece to the wall that separates you and Jesus. Because I tell you what, becoming Judas does not happen on a dime. It doesn't happen over night. It happens with one decision after another decision after another decision that leads you one step and another step and another step further and further and further from Jesus.